Hello, everybody, and welcome to Reason Town, episode nine. Today, we're going to talk about server side stuff. I'm here with my lovely co host, Jared. Hello. Forsyth. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, I, I didn't commit to the, saying that name, uh, but that's okay. Hosting today is sponsored by tylermcginnis.com, which is the linear course based approach to learning web technologies. Thank you, Tyler. We really appreciate it. And we're sponsored by Day One, which is the company I work for. We make a journaling and life archiving app. I love Day One. Do you want to? Poke, poke your <laughs> poke. Do you want to insert your company here? Sure. Um, and I work for Khan Academy, um, which is a nonprofit um, teaching the world uh, pretty much everything. Um, Khan Academy got me through college. I'm just going to add this in here to say that if anyone yeah. else is listening. Um, if you're struggling with college biology, uh, it's all free. Um, also, we're, we're focusing mostly on middle school and high school students. Uh, right now, but th- we have college level content that's really nice for generals as well. Yeah, I mean, I would not have passed physics or linear algebra if it were not for Khan Academy. So yeah, thank I you. I still go on there to to learn economics and stuff. Big deal, awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Khan Academy, and thank you, Day One. So let's get right down to the content, Jared. Since we're recording late at night tonight, let's. Well, it might be a slightly shorter episode. We'll see. Don't hold us to it. We'll see. But today we're going to talk a little bit about writing servers with Reason. That's right. If you are thinking about writing your server in Reason, you're like, Reason's awesome, servers are awesome, let's put them together, we've got some news for you. Yep, don't do it. <laughs> Good night, everybody. That's right. <laughs> no, I'm um, kidding. Yeah, there, there are um, so, some reasons to do it, kind of a lot of reasons not to do it, and we'll, we'll give you the caveats. But first, a really good kind of pearl of wisdom Give it to us. The, okay, so we're talking about being boring, right? Yeah. Okay, well, okay. So I was listening to another podcast that I appreciate recently, and the wise person on that podcast said, just be boring as possible on the server. Like, your server should just be so boring. And this person particularly writes iOS apps. So their main deal is selling a beautiful iOS app, and they're saying that the server should just work as simply as possible. Now, I, I very much resonate with that idea, so I'm going to echo it here. But I'm going to modify it a little bit because not everybody's server should be boring. There are servers that should be really exciting and fantastic if that is what your company's product is. If, if you're selling an awesome server, then make your server awesome. Many of the people that are listening to this podcast, they're selling a, a website or a web app or, or an iOS app or an Android app, not so much an awesome server. And so uh, I'm going to say that each company has a limited amount of innovation capital. If, if that sounds too businessy word-wise, what it means is like you only have so many hours and so much money that you can spend on figuring out new things. That's like a budget, like an innovation budget. Yeah, there you go. Innovation budget, precisely. And uh, we all need to be really careful how we choose to spend that budget because it can really easily bleed out. I mean, I don't know how many of you have used AWS or if you've used AWS, but it's pretty easy to just add stuff and right. then you get a bill for like $15,000 the next month and then you're like, oh no, what happened? I think it's the same thing with innovation budgeting too mm-hmm. because you're like, oh, well, I'll just use this new tool here and oh, I'll just use that interesting new thing there and then pretty soon they add up and they con- conflict and before long you have no work done and it's been a month. I've, I've started plenty of side projects where what I want at the end of it is an app or a game or something. And so I start the app and then I'm like, oh, well, 
I've always wanted to try out this new database. And so I start working on that. And, oh, there's this hot new server-side, um, you know, there's this hot new web server framework that just came out. I'll add that onto it. So, and, and pretty soon I'm just drowning in all of the things that I have to learn in order to get to the end of the app. Um, and, of course, I never get to it. Yep, precisely. That's that's me too. And I won't paint us with the specific stories, but this happens to me all the time. So um, just a word of advice would be it, before you do Reason on the server or before you do any number of awesome things or use Reason at all, like we love Reason, we use it, but just consider the cost. Are you willing, to, are, do you know how much it's going to cost you time-wise and money-wise and are you willing to spend that for, for the return. And it's good to just figure out what am I going to get from using reason and is it worth what I'm going to put into it. So that's set. Oh, yeah, Jared. And so we're going to dig into some of the costs. Um, Murphy has been trying out reason on the server, compiled to JavaScript, um, and w there's a lot of learnings that have come out of that. Um, and so hopefully by the end, you'll be better informed about um, why you might want to choose it or not. Yes, yes. Uh, and so maybe we talk for a second about what your options are server-side. And right. first, let's let's talk about native because we all talk about how sweet it is that since React or React, or since Reason is based on... Um, uh, OCaml. OCaml, thank you. Uh, you can compile native binaries, which is super sweet because then it'll be fast. Um, does that apply to web servers? Um, hypothetically, yes. Um, but... The, the story for compiling Reason to Native is just so much less mature than the story for Reason to JavaScript on the web. Um, and I, I like Reason to Native compilation. I've made some games. I've made some servers. Um, and there's a lot of fun things to tinker with. But if, um, if you want to write a web server in Reason, you are dealing with sockets. Right, you you are you are writing HTTP header parsers, so you um, feel really cool, but um, you might not get work done. Yeah, <laughs> for it, a long it, time, it goes slow, um, and so just if if that's your jam, then then Reason Native is for you. Most people, again, that that's not your competitive competitive advantage. Um, you you don't have time to write a new web server library. So you're not going to be saying, for example, well, do I go with Rails or do I go with Reason Native? Because it's just not. There's no comparison. There's nothing. Right? It's, do I, should I go with Assembly or Reason Native? Well, Reason Native will be easier than Assembly. Actually, let's pause here for just a second because I didn't tell the story at the beginning. I want to tell it really quickly just to rehash the point we already hashed and hashed because I want to hash it again. I was on Reddit and I read this post uh, from a user that said, I, like, what's the best way to get started with doing normal old standard server-side rendered HTML in Reason on the server? And I did answer the question, and I said, just use Rails, uh, because that's the same thought there, is like, if all you're doing is solve, if you're, if you're trying to get the answer for the problem that has been solved by so many other frameworks over the past, and languages over the past 15 years, just use one of those things, and then your work gets done and then you make money and then you can do your other cool thing in reason and have fun with it. Right. But like that part that's, that's boring, just do it in the boring thing. Yeah. Um, unless like if you have zero knowledge of Ruby and stuff, maybe, maybe or, it'll be or just, just slow. use express or, right. you know, th yes. there are so many, um, if JavaScript is where you're coming from. So we, I, I think we've established 
reason native is is very very not boring. Um, let's talk about reason to JavaScript on the server, which is still not boring. Great, yeah. And and what are the aspects of that? Yeah, it's almost boring. It seems like it'd be boring, but not quite. So your choices for reason on Node, like reason compiling to JavaScript running on Node, at this point, Express is pretty solid. We know that Express is a good framework. That's a right. Node framework that's been around forever. Lots Tons of, of sites are built on Express. Yeah, and you can use Happy. Happy is also established. There, there are plenty of Node frameworks. Here's the cost, though. You're going to have to wrap things, which means right. you're going to have to use uh, ex external calls from Reason to call out to existing libraries. There's a good one that already exists for Express. So mm -hmm. you can get a good start there. That's pretty pretty good right away. But it likely won't cover the Express plugins, the middleware that you want. Yeah. So like you can get started with a, a Hello World thing in Express, but like let's say you want to use Body Parser or what's that called? Like yeah. Body Boy. I don't remember what it's called. To so like parse multi-part uh, requests. Like there's another thing you probably have to wrap. And then like what if you want to do some uh, authentication. Some authentication, yes. And so you like you have to wrap passport, or like what if you want to do some JSON JSON schema validation? You got to wrap that. So like each piece probably isn't wrapped and doesn't exist. And if you want to do SQL, you got to wrap that. And I, I'm going to plug that because I'll talk about it in a few minutes. Right now, that said, if once you get into the groove of wrapping um, JavaScript libraries, it um, it's pretty straightforward, right? It is yeah. not. It's not something that it's like, oh, I'm going to sink hours into this. Um, at the point where I'm where I am, I could look at, okay, here's the API that I'm going to use of Passport. I could probably write the bindings in under half an hour. Um, yeah, or just a few minutes. Even. Or just a few minutes, depending. If if it's just a couple of calls, that's a few minutes. Um, but a few minutes, um, if you've been doing it for a while, the first time you do it, it'll be a couple hours just trying to figure everything out, um, and then you'll be doing that for a lot of libraries. So that's that's one of the costs there. It's a small cost, but it's still a cost. And it could nickel, could be a nickel and dime kind yeah. of thing where you spend more than you mean to. And also a warning about that is, do you really know the library that you're wrapping very well? I've spent m hours trying to debug, thinking that my wrapping had some problem with like the way I wrapped the li like Like Reason was having a problem when in reality the documentation wasn't there for the library I was wrapping. I That's thought right. it behaved in one way. It didn't, right? Yeah. And that can cost you hours. Um, yeah, a lot of these libraries are written in JavaScript. They don't have type definitions. Yes. If you're lucky and it has you know, some flow type um, declarations or some TypeScript declarations, you can work off of that, and it's, it's much smoother because you know what the API is going to be. Yeah. And so actually, this is a good point that you brought up when you said that you would like say you wanted to wrap just the part of Passport that you wanted to use. That is a great tip for wrapping things, because when I first started wrapping stuff, I was like, I guess I'll wrap this whole library and publish it to NPM. That's nice to do. That is a kind thought for other people. But probably what you really want to do if you're getting work done is just wrap the part you're going to use. Like take the existing library that's very general and has lots of different options and overloaded functions and just make the types for the way you're going to use it and use it that once in your project and then you're good. Yeah. Um, and if you use that, if you use those bindings in multiple projects and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm tired of copying and pasting, um, then put it in a library. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really, you know, under 50 lines of code. Um, and the next person can just write those lines. For their own use case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it would. It is very nice when there is some standardized 
library that everybody's able to contribute to because then you get type help right. and you don't have to understand the library yourself. But a lot of the server stuff side you're gonna server side stuff you're gonna run into isn't at that point. Yeah, so you, you will be it. one of the first people doing it in production. And you may be solving bugs with the library or with your understanding of the library. So that's there's potential cost there. Um, so that's what, so that's one option we talked about is using an established library. Now let's talk about some there is some experimental work happening with like reason native, not reason native. Uh, that's the wrong way to say it. Re- re- web servers that are written for reason, P- pure reason. Yeah, yeah, pure like reason. web servers that are written on top of nodes. HTTP tools to be a unique web server that's not Express. Right. One specifically to mention is Enact or NACT, which is very interesting. It's kind of like a Scala actor-based approach on top of Node, and it ha- it exposes APIs for Reason and for just plain JavaScript. Right. So this is interesting, uh, but the caveat or the warning I'm going to throw in here is that it's this is all also very experimental and new. So you don't have a big community of people that are hardening this and finding the bugs. It's very cool work, and it's it's awesome from the authors of those who are doing it to, to do this work and share it for free. Um, but if you are, again, not interested in the specific benefits that that framework offers, like if you don't need the actor model be- because your current app is insufficient without it, then go with the boring thing. I'd, yeah, I'd say. Um, and just for example, that super cool Enact framework, the development, as I understand it, is paused right now as they investigate cool other future new possibilities of like, oh, let's actually maybe write a framework on Reason Native kind of thing. So just be prepared that if you choose something that's bleeding edge, it may go away or it may right. stop. So I'd say only choose it if it if that's the only if that's the only place you can find the thing that you really need to make your business work. Then I'd say go with that. Or if you're just playing, yeah, yeah. that's fine too. Yeah. So uh, let's assume that you are um, just gonna you're gonna use BS Express or you're gonna wrap some um, current Node.js library. What are what are the other things that we have to worry about in addition to just wrapping JavaScript libraries? Excellent. So there's actually a runtime dependency that reason has which is the reason standard library or the buckle script standard library right and uh, it turns out that that is bundled with the compiler as well the bsb compiler which if if you're trying to do an npm install it actually will compile that compiler natively on your computer if i'm not mistaken right because so you you npm install bs platform and in the post install step it will compile the whole compiler exactly right so that's okay. that's a massive cpu charge and if you're trying to like npm if you're trying to deploy to heroku or anything that runs on a small instance and doesn't npm install you're going to be in big trouble because it's going to take forever or even in ci you right know, for right example. and and you don't you don't need the compiler you're, you're going to be shipping your compiled javascript files you just need the list implementation and you know the various things that it needs from and the standard library curry and things yeah. like that yes yeah. yeah even if you're not using the data structures from the standard library there's still things that it requires to even run your compiled code right. at all so what there are two ways to get around that and one is to bundle your javascript i know you you thought you'd get away from bundling cuz you're on the server side but webpack is your best friend forever uh, or actually doing the hack that Jared has done in the past and extracting the JavaScript code from BS platform, putting it in its own package, and then doing some fancy code to, when you ship, swap out BS platform for your 
uh, VS platform that only contains the JavaScript code. Right, because you can, in your package.json, you can say VS platform version 3, or you can, you can put in a GitHub uh, repo. And right. so if you put in this repo that only has the JavaScript files um, and it's kind of spoofing everything else from VS platform, then you'll be able to ship with, and, and it'll work normally. Um, but then, of course, you don't want that in your package.json while you're developing because you actually need the compiler. So there's actually one reason as well why that is still difficult, and that is when you run the compiler, it places the compiled artifacts for the libraries that you're using inside of the node modules folder. And it would be nice if there were some kind of standard that said if you're going to ship a buckle script library, the compiled artifacts should be included in your deployment, but there's nothing that enforces that, and there are libraries that don't do that. Right. So you can't rely on that. Um, and the, pro the problem with that being that a lot of these deployments count on node modules being something that can be blown away and rebuilt at right. deploy time. So uh, this is, again, leading us to bundling, because if you don't have it bundled, then you ship it to now or whatever, and they don't include no modules to keep it small, and then they do their install, and then all of your compiled artifacts are gone and your code doesn't run. Right. So you, then you have to do a compile step on the deploy, which means you do need the compiler, which means yeah, you're stuck yeah. in a loop again. So uh, there, in reality, you can actually, in a lot of cases, you can bundle it pretty easily, sort of. <laughs> there are some exceptions, but basically you could just drop Webpack in. There's a very simple Webpack config that you can drop in that just says bundle. Basically, you say like uh, bundle everything, and then you say exclude everything that's in node modules, and also set Webpack to node mode, which means it won't it won't bundle any of the node in uh, standard library. Right. It won't bundle anything that's in node modules. And then what you do is you whitelist all of your buckle script code. Uh -huh. So you say, basically, here, Webpack, work on my project, but don't do anything. Like, bundle nothing. And then you whitelist just your the code that you actually do want to bundle, which are, uh, basically, you can just, like, drop in a regex that says anything that's under uh, BS platform or anything that ends in BSJS. And it'll bundle those up. Oh, right. So that actually works really well. That produces a tiny little bundle, super easy to deploy. Then you just, uh, oh, oh, here's the next step. You actually move all of those things, all of those BS dependencies, you actually move them to dev dependencies. So that when you deploy, it, oh, doesn't, okay. it doesn't have to install any of your buckle script stuff. And including BS platform, that's also a dev dependency. Gotcha. So in your runtime dependencies, you'll have like Express and a few other things. Now, here's the, here's the tricky part. Um, you, if you're using a wrapper library like BS Express, it is going to include Express as its own dependency. And that would normally work, except since you're bundling your code, now you've actually lifted the dependency from inside the Express node module, the BS Express node module that was including it. Now you've lifted that dependency up to be a direct dependency of your project. Right. So if you're going to bundle, you have to expect that when you run the bundle, it's going to say, I'm missing libraries. And, and then you'll have to add those libraries that were uh, child dependencies. Now they are your first level, your primary dependencies. Could you get around that by um, still including all of your reason library dependencies as normal, dev, as normal dependencies instead of dev dependencies? That's a great question. They, they would just sit there dormant, but they... Oh, yeah but they might be reachable. That's a good idea. I hadn't tried that. I think that when I moved them out, I did it to save 
download time right. on npm install, but that's a great option, uh, yeah. just leaving them in there. So You might have to play with that. Yeah, think about that, listeners. That, that could be great. So that's the actual deployment cost I ran into. And, and then whenever, wherever you're deploying, you have to figure out the get, you know, whatever the process is to make sure that it uses only the production packages or whatever so it doesn't install BS platform. Right. But once all that's done, you should be in the clear. And it should be like a normal Express app. And you can ship it and like only ship your bundle and then it's small. And so you could ship it to Lambda Functions or you could ship it to uh, Heroku or whatever you, you like. So that's the cost for the actual deployment. Now let's talk about maybe another very common task for server-side stuff, which is SQL binding to some SQL database, okay. right? Um, and there are some libraries in Reason for building, for doing some SQL stuff. I found a few that were interfacing with, um, I think, MySQL. I'm sorry if you're the... Uh, if you're the author of the libraries and you're like, no, it works for everything. Curse you. Why aren't you picking my library? Um, but I actually ended up going with connects because that's what I'm familiar with mm-hmm. from just the node world. Yeah. Connects is a really neat SQL builder. It's not an ORM. It, all it is, is it helps you to build SQL queries that are uh, valid, that are valid. And you can do it in a, in a way that's really neat. I mean, it's, it's set up perfectly for fast piping. Cool. So you could just, take your query, build it up piece by piece. It's really easy to conditionally, like, for example, you can just take your chain that you're building up for your query and you can pipe it into a switch state, a switch expression. Oh, cool. And then your switch expression, like, let's say you're switching on an option. You can just say, like, if your option's there, then you add this condition to your SQL query. And if it's not there, then you do nothing. And then your SQL query is just what it was. So nice. it's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but with the caveat that connects... The only wrapping library that exists for it is wrapped by B. Conkle. Thanks, B. Conkle. But he just did it in a very quick, like, I'm just going to throw this together. And he threw it up there, and it's it's very incomplete. Like, the, sure. bo- the bones are there, but a lot of the things you'll run into are like, hey, this type signature is just... Uh, apostrophe a it's just a parameterized it just it's says just it takes any. an a okay yeah and really it's like th- this function actually takes three parameters so you'll have to oh, flesh okay. that out fill it out and so i've i've actually copied i just vendored his library into my source code so i just copied the whole thing directly uh and i've been making heavy modifications so they're uh, like i've modified parameter types i've modified the return types to match what i was wanting instead i've even made some like design decision changes, um, like my own API kind of on top of it um, to make it easier. I've ended up using like some of the raw statements quite a bit. So it's not really a cut and dry experience at this point. Well, if you, if you want to toss that up into a gist, um, just so if, if anybody's like, Oh, I really want that better version of the connects bindings. Yeah. um, And then it's low, uh, low responsibility on you. You're not actually going to, um, maintain it. Yeah, I'm glad to do that. I'll link I'll link B Conkle's code and my modified code in the gist. Yeah, great idea. Cool. Um, but even then, like I've had to to on top of that, there's kind of the node way of doing things, which is just like let it throw an exception. Um, right. You know, and like you you just assume that everything's going to work, and then it doesn't, and then you it's the the JavaScript way of doing things, right. right? Right. But the reason way of doing things is a little more explicit. So there's actually a much nicer experience that can be formed around the connects idea mm-hmm. instead of just wrapping the library. If somebody was going to write it from scratch, yeah. In reason. And so I've had to add my own patterns on top of this that are yeah. like, well, when I pull it out, 
then in my fast piping, I then pipe it into a JSON decoder that matches what I'm looking for. And then like, if that fails, then I pipe it into a, something that catches the error, uh-huh. logs it out and does something appropriate. So there, yeah, yeah. there are, it's not just a simple like, oh, just use that library and all your concerns will be taken care of. Because if you leave out the error handling, then you're going to be in pain trying to figure out what happened. Right, right. Yeah. And and you you lose a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the safety and, and the smoothness that it is that you're working in reason to get. Right. Um, so it takes extra work to add that back in. Yeah. So if, if anybody is looking for a new side project and wants to port connects over to reason, that could be fun. Oh, that could be great. Especially if you're thinking about the reason way of, yeah, yeah how do I make this awesome? But you know, it'd be even more super nerdy and way cool. <laughs> I posted a tweet about this. If somebody wrote a PPX, where right. you could write raw SQL and get it type checked, like get your SQL statement checked for correctness. Right. And then it would give you typed like output A from that. Response. Yeah, typed Ooh. response. That would be pretty smooth. So yeah. uh I don't know who out there wants to do that, but that would be awesome. Like right? you could just write your SQL statement, get typed response. Oh. <laughs> Although it's almost a trade-off because you we we like connects because it's not writing raw SQL. That's true. Um, but that's actually what's funny is like I started with a bunch of connects and then yeah. the deeper I got into it, the more I was just like, just, SQL's fine. I'm just gonna use the raw string. Huh. Yeah, because it was it was like the times when I needed connects were when I was dynamically modifying queries based on parameters that were passed in. Uh huh. And then eventually I was like, well, I'll just use default values for the parameters. It was like so you just paging. stopped doing that. Okay. Yeah, so I eventually was just like, I'm just gonna write raw, done, and that was go. a pleasant experience. Okay. Um, yeah, all. SQL is is not too scary. It's declarative. Yeah. I, I mean, it's SQL is very functional feeling itself. You know, you're not right. mutating things. You're building up a declarative statement, and so it, I think as a functional programmer, you kind of feel at home with SQL. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. Okay. So 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 to to recap a little bit the. Um, the places where developing a reason node server is interesting um, is you're going to be wrapping a lot of things. Um, you are going to have to work on deployment. Um, so maybe some bundling, maybe some messing with dependencies. Um, and then just an example of one of the other things that are interesting is um, if you're going to be writing SQL, if you're going to be inter- interacting with a database, there's no ORM that's there for you. Um, and frankly, if you are, th- this is a good example, if you're interacting with say, the, the Mongoose JavaScript MongoDB uh, library, it's, it's not going to feel reason-y. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be very mutative, very all these things. Um, and so you might, feel you're, you might end up writing more of a wrapper on top of it to try and get the reason feel. Exactly right. And then two other things we won't deep dive into, but like I've had, I wrote my own logging library because there wasn't one that existed and the logging built in in reason is pretty bare bones to be able to say like, here are my log messages. And it also appends the time when that happened and also like, uh, log levels up or down. Now you could, you could just wrap any of the log logging libraries that exist. I chose to just do it myself to be, make it more reasony. Uh Um, but you could, use Morgan or whatever. Uh, but also uh, request validation, we already mentioned, but like... Right, we didn't dig into that. That's There's... kind of a big deal. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh-huh. uh, so I haven't... I actually haven't done that because I was using GraphQL Yoga as my framework. Yeah. So GraphQL is taking care of all of my schema validation, mm-hmm. uh, which was cool. 
But yeah, if, if you're wrapping Express, Express doesn't have, you know, the validation built in that you would expect from a typed uh, secure language. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And also, you know, there's things like routing and stuff. I don't, I don't remember if VS Express has like a type safe router or if it's just strings like normal expresses, but right. uh, it, you can definitely do it, but it doesn't feel amazing at this right. point. And I mean, this, this could be getting a little bit towards the boring where it's like, I don't, I don't need to boil the ocean and make a type safe router yes. for VS Express. I'll just use the strings. It's fine. I'll check them. Um, you know, we do it in JavaScript all the time yeah, definitely. and then I'll, I'll, I'll have nice reason code for the actual business logic. Yeah. Right. Great point. Fantastic point. You know, and that's actually another option too, is if you just want to write the guts of your code all in JavaScript, all of the connecting code, the parts that hook up to the libraries and then just write your handlers in reason. Yeah. Yeah. That's another option. Just call out simple passing, simple data types and then do the business logic. Yeah. That's another good option. And that might be a, a more practical approach. Uh, the last thing I was going to say about watching out for deployment is think about, uh, runtime visibility. Cause now you've got this bundle and I like, do you ship source maps with your bundle? Like when you get an error message on the right. server, is it, it's going to go to your bundle. So it's going to say like, Oh, you threw this error at line 59,281 column 9,833. Or even better line one. Yeah. Column right. 50,000. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shoot. Okay, this is not an easy way to debug. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't gotten to that point yet. I don't I don't actually know how, what server-side stuff has source map there, support. There but... are um, there are libraries that you can um, hook into nodes exception handling and say, before you print out the trace map or the, the trace back, Here's my source map. Oh, that's cool. Um, so you you can you, you can make it work. People bundle Node without you know any weird compiled JavaScript languages, um, just because there are some nice things about it. And so there's source map support that you can get there. That's cool. So that's that's a step that can be figured out and put in. Uh, do remember that if you're compiling from to JavaScript from something else, those source maps may or may not be super helpful. That's right, because Reason BuckleScript does not have source map support. Oh, um, I didn't know that. <laughs> right. So, so what you will get is the source map of your JavaScript of your BS.js file um, into the Webpack bundle, which you know could well be enough. You know, the, yeah. the JavaScript is often quite readable, unless you're doing weird stuff like I'm doing. Right. <laughs> like, right. I will admit that I actually added custom infix operators, the old Haskell monad operators, uh-huh. and I was kind of embarrassed that I was doing it because it's not the reason way, but it was just so succinct. Yeah. And now that's, I mean. If, if you're working with optionals or with results or any of those things, I, I totally, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I, I put in a bind, I put in a map, um, and because we, we don't yet have nice async await or, or option chaining or things like that. Those are going to happen. I was like looking over my shoulder being like, poor developer comes after me. He's going to be like, what is this? Like rocket, rocket equal. Like what? <laughs> and, and like, yeah. like less than dollar sign greater. Than, right. I, can't I, even I feel like myself, if, if I'm going to be writing code for other, that other people are going to touch, I want, you know, a 20 line comment block at the end of each, at the beginning of each file where I use those operators. Like, by the way, here's a crash course in, that's um, a good idea. These infix operators. That's a great idea. I've actually, I put them in a thing called, Magic. No, I put them in a thing called promise so that it would make more sense that they could just, it's a specifically their promise implementations, Yeah, uh, which makes sense. For the other one, I actually did uh, the 
function composition operator. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is which can be very handy. Uh-huh. Um, which is for those who are listening, it's like t- in Haskell, it's uh, dot and in Elm, it's like two right arrows. Right. Um, which means that you take one partially applied function that's missing one value, and you take another one, and you you just basically like glue them together. Right. And so they become instead of from A to B and from B to C, it becomes one function from A to C. Right. So w- it it will. Um, it will become a function that accepts an argument, passes it to the first one, then passes the result to the second one. Yep. So that's yeah, yeah, it's a succinct idea. It, it, can, just, it can be handy if you've got a lot of partially applied functions and, and are doing some functional fun things. But it definitely obscures the code. Right. And so I put that operator in a thing, uh, operator in a thing called magic bag. So that if people <laughs> saw it, they'd be like, what's a magic bag? And then they'd go see, and then there's right. a comment, you know, yeah, ho- yeah. hopefully there that would help. Yep. Sorry, I very much digressed. but That, that was, was a little bit of the weeds at the end, which yeah. was nice. <laughs> So is there anything, let's see, that was Lessons from the Battlefield sequel. I think we've covered everything. Um, we, we didn't cover when is it a good time to use oh, Reason on the server. let's do that. Um, to maybe end on a happy note, what, what, when, where would you recommend it? Okay, so here's why I'm actually still doing, uh, planning to do Reason there on the go. server. Uh, we went through all these different options. Like I was looking at Go because Go is super cool. It's also very object-oriented. Yeah. Uh, and n- that's not, I'm not saying that like with spit coming out of my mouth, I'm saying that, uh, because my brain has been working in a functional paradigm for some, for enough years now that when I, I'm trying to write in go code and I'm just like, Oh, this is, this is hard for my brain to shape back into this shape. Yeah. Um, so uh, with a small number of engineers on my team and with us doing reason all the time for the front end as well. And, uh, and having a back-end choice, we, it makes sense for us to pay the cost to do that wrapping because, A, we've gotten really good at wrapping already. So that's a really a, a relatively low cost for us now. Uh-huh. And, B, we kind of know the Node ecosystem versus learning another package manager sure. versus learning another... And, and like, versus getting our brains back into another paradigm, mm-hmm. right, with object-oriented versus functional. Like, we we kind of know how reason works just as a language. So even though we have to face the challenges of it being bleeding edge, we're more equipped to face those challenges maybe than we would be to, to just get comfortable in another ecosystem and switch back and forth. Right. And, and you're really tired of straight JavaScript, right? That that's yes. off the table. Yeah. I've just had to, I've had enough experience trying to ship real apps with straight JavaScript that I am not willing to do that anymore. Yeah. And I've, I know there are wonderful people who are awesome at doing that, and I commend your brain power. Uh, but I, I've gotten used to the crutch of having a type system, and I think yeah. that I'm—I mean, that's just something I like to use. So, right, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so so maybe to to sum that up, if you are, especially if you're already using Reason on the front end, and you love it, and all your team loves it, um, and you're like back end, we know the Node ecosystem, um, and we don't want to use straight JavaScript or TypeScript or Flow. Um, then, then reason could be um, a good option. Yeah, and I mean, even there, there's a mental impedance between reason and TypeScript types to some degree uh-huh. because they look similar because they're both kind of C-ish syntax, and so uh, there is some overhead between if you said I'm doing TypeScript on the server and reason on the front end, it, it might still be difficult to get your brain back and forth between that. Yeah, there, there's a lot to be said for. It is one language everywhere. You, you know, know, you you know all the rules. Switch. Yeah, you know yeah. all the tricks. Plus, I know people always say, 
like, hey, code sharing. And then it's like, well, code sharing is often just kind of a pipe dream, but it might actually be a real thing. You could share utility functions. Mm-hmm. Um, in our case, I'm going to wave my hands because we haven't actually implemented this yet, but there's a bunch of code that we've done for uh, handling encryption and decryption mm-hmm. of content, which can be pretty complex and gnarly. And uh, if we've done our code right, then we can just implement an interface, essentially our module that does the encryption we need on Node and then on the browser, and then the rest of the code can kind of share that. So that's still an ideal, but that's a case where that would be really neat because we do need to be writing and reading or writing encryption on both the client and the server. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are some wins there. Okay, so so code sharing is, is maybe a little bit farther down the road, possibly some wins. I feel like mind sharing um if if it's, i can coin yeah. that term is is just so valuable it's a bigger I mean, win it's it's react's um idea of learn once write anywhere yeah um learn reason once um and then you're writing on both client and server that can be a huge win definitely and so that said with like the caveat of documentation is kind of a big help so once again if you're not doing fancy server stuff and all you're doing is like a user's management API because your app needs user management, pr- probably it's better to like install Rails and use the Passport gem. And just since you only are going to touch the code like once every few months, just read the docs when you need to yeah. kind of thing. You or, know? or use Firebase, right? Yeah, I mean, right. There, there, are, um, there are databases that are sufficiently complex um, that you don't even have to mess with a server yeah. if it's that simple. Definitely. Then you have to write Firebase wrappings, which is another thing I've, I've right. done in the past as well. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, t- but totally doable. Uh-huh. So yeah, there. That's but those are big reasons to use language. Uh, reason, reason on the server. Yeah. Okay. And uh, if, if you like Node, if it's easy to... Th- that's actually another thing. Uh, deploying Node is easy relative yeah. to deploying... Go, most other things yeah. Go's gotten to the point where you can like Go's pretty easy because you can ship a binary right? right and you can also do lambda functions and go but like elixir yeah are there a bunch of platforms where you can just ship elixir i don't know you yeah know? yeah and like we have a we have a java app a scala app that we have deployed but it's that's it's more limited not the yeah we can't just like now deploy scala app uh-huh. unless you have a docker function you know, there's there's a lot of complexity that can be had around deploying other languages but a lot of people have focused on making node very easy yeah to deploy. piggybacking on that um cool so um let's talk about picks uh, yes thanks for keeping me on track jared too what are you excited about ah uh, this is pretty cool faded i don't i don't know if i say his name right but i've always read it faded uh, is working on a project called Reasonable. And wow. this is inspired by the talk that Ryan, Ryan Dahl, is that right? I forget his name entirely, but he was the guy who started Node.js. Yes, the, no, the, Node, the Node original guy gave a talk at a conference recently. Boy, I should have looked this up. In any case, in that talk, he talked about like the mistakes that he had made with Node and how he would do it differently. Regrets. And then yeah. he said... Actually, I have done it differently. Here's a, a piece of crap implementation <laughs> with some of my ideas. Don't use it. Please, please don't use it. Right. But here it is. And basically what it is is it's a TypeScript interpreter yeah. that isn't Node that runs, that integrates with V8 and you know doesn't have a standard library but has some different rules around it than Node has about imports and it runs TypeScript directly. So there's right. no compiling to JavaScript. That's not a thing. So where where Node is... V8 is running your JavaScript, but we have native, um, you know, C++ implemented um, 
runtime things, uh, syscalls essentially, that V8 is going to call out to to do file system access and all this stuff. His new project is V8 is talking to Go um, and using uh, using Go's standard library stuff. Um, there's no Node standard library. Is that the as much? You're saying that's the Node guys' yeah. project? Oh, yeah, yeah. interesting. So that's also Faded's right. like idea of it too. So both of these are like we have this V8 binding to Go thing, and Faded's project is that Reason runs directly. It's a Reason interpreter. There's it, the idea is I think it would have access to Go standard library as well, just like the TypeScript one. Yeah. Um. So that's that is pretty exciting. It's a cool project but considering how long node came how long it took node to be something that was uh usable in production <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm guessing it's going to be another few years before that's a thing that can be actually used but uh that's a really neat idea that's yeah. cropping up yeah it's a cool um so i'll take one repl it repl.it um is a a really cool um uh code sandbox kind of a thing you can um, they have an editor. It, it started out as just a REPL, four different languages. There's Python, there's Ruby, there's JavaScript, uh, there's Java, all these things. Um, and so you can you can write your code, you can evaluate it. And so it, it's similar to um, you know a, a bunch of like uh, CodePen and all these things, but instead of just JavaScript, it has Python and Java and all these things. And they recently added Reason support. Um, so awesome. Reason React um, and the, the coolest part of it is they have the um, OCaml language server with Merlin. Um, so you have all of the fancy autocompletion. You have type hints. Um, it is really well implemented. I think this is probably the best way to get started with Reason at this point um, because it's just a website. You just start writing. There's yeah. no bootstrapping. That's yeah. way cool. Uh-huh. Way to go, Repl it. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll also plug, I, um, I'm working on a new VS Code plugin. Um, and a language server to go along with it. It's written entirely in Reason. Um, the, the current VS Code plugin and language server has um, kind of a lot of JavaScript in, fl- in front of Merlin, um, but my thing is, is a little bit leaner, um, runs natively on Windows without um, any issues, and uh, also on Linux. So that's fun. That's pretty amazing. I mean, you say like, oh, I just did this side project, but like, that's a whole language server. That's a pretty big deal. That's awesome. And cross-platform, that's... Way to go, Jared. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so keep your eye on that. Or you can actually go try it right now if you have VS yeah, Code. Yeah, there, there's an alpha available. Um, again, Windows, Mac, Linux. Um, there's just a, a VS Code download. And the, um, the thing that I wanted was to just have a single install. Um, so you, you download the plugin and it works. You don't have to do the Reason CLI global installation so that you get all the other things. Um, it's just a single download. Awesome. I love it. Now I'll pick an article that I wrote about deploying Reason to AWS. And I wrote it, I was specifically looking at Elastic Beanstalk at the time. I think I'm going to be taking a different route than that. But So I, I may actually extract part of this article and just have it be generalized, like how to bundle your Reason code for deployment. But uh-huh. in the meantime, go ahead and look in the show notes if you're interested in doing this. There's an entire article about how to get your Reason app sh- deployed, bundled, and shipped to Elastic Beanstalk on AWS. Cool. So going into a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of what we talked about. Yes. Yeah. And hopefully there will be like code lines you can paste in and uh, you can find my webpack config there and things like that. Awesome. Yeah. That's it. That's all, that's all I have. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.